Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. What a night, man! I was uh, I was just getting ready to sit down and watch the finale of my TV show, and uh, Adrian Wojnarowski decided that he was going to drop that tonight. So uh, that's where we are at. Um, I guess I'll just get started right now. I have a, a decent amount to say in a small amount of time. Um, so just diving right into it. Uh, let me pull up the Woj tweet so I don't misquote it at all. Um, so, yes. Also, first of all, okay, good. The, the good news, uh, Tyrese Halliburton does not have ligament damage, which makes me happy because he's a joy to watch. Uh, seems like a really great kid. I can't say kid. He's like almost the same age as I am. I'm just trying to sound older. Um, but I'm I'm excited that he's he's okay. Um, so yeah, per Adrian Wojnarowski, this is word for word. Amid a year of difficult, and this was with no introduction whatsoever. Just jumps right into it. Um, amid a year of difficulties with players and staff, Indiana Pacers coach Nate Bjorkren's future with the, with the franchise is uncertain as the regular season nears an end. Sources tell ESPN the Pacers are 30-34 and 34 and in ninth place in the Eastern Conference. Then leads it up by saying Bjorkren has work to do on relationships with key players in his locker room, sources tell ESPN, and has thus far shown a willingness within the organization to try to address those issues. Um, yeah, so I, I think I, I hadn't done a pod yet this morning uh, because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch the Washington game last night um, until this morning. Uh, and I had a lot of takeaways um, after last night's game that, that weren't positive, to be completely honest. I started doing a, a film thread with, with thoughts we did earlier today as well. Um, that, you know, I think let's just, let's just start from the beginning. Okay. So in terms of strategies, yes, the defense is really bad. Um, the defense was abysmal yesterday. The strategies do not make sense. Uh, they're, I mean, going over on every screen against Russell Westbrook, forcing a middle without any help, things like that. Like there's just, um, I mean, and it's not just Pacers media pointing out, and this is not me just trying to hone in on Nate York and there's a lot that we're going to get into, but point being, I mean, I have, I have national writers who are pointing it out too. It's, it's not just people here that are seeing it. It is, it is all over the place. Like the defense has been very, very bad. Um, and that was really catapulted yesterday, but I think it's also important to look at and notice. Um, but okay. Well, like the best way that I had it put Mike Prada, great writer, um, put it, put it like this. Um, you know, it, it summed up my thoughts in a lot of ways from from what I've echoed most of this season. Um, you know, it feels like he is coaching the team he wishes he had rather than the one that he does. And I totally concur with that. Uh, that's how it's felt most of the year. That's how it's felt since the old Depot trade. And even like, I think it's, it's important to start there. The team was, uh, you know, eighth in offense, 10th in defense, uh, eight and four before the old Depot trade. And they looked really good. I mean, we were the, the team starting to get national media hype. Um, people were really buying into what they could do. And then 
the front office made the decision to trade Victor. I'm not saying that that was the wrong decision, but then that automatically leads to uh, Karis LeVert is, ends up being diagnosed with cancer. He misses all of that time. That totally changes the course of the season, uh, really shakes the chemistry of everything that they're doing. And that makes sense. That's what happens when you go from having a guy who was a sub all-star to having no one in the rotation that can replace him. Um, so in, in that sense, okay, that makes sense. Um, I, I think it's hard because this is a, I mean, this is a, a, a freaking pandemic year. It, I think coming into this, there were always going to be questions. I mean, like, there were already questions about should you fire Nate McMillan after last year because there was so much murkiness with everything that went down. Obviously, it ultimately came down to locker room issues. Um, and as was mentioned in the Woj tweet, it's coming down to, to locker room issues as well. Um, and, yeah, Dave, Dave Dufour put, points out a great thing. Dave's awesome. And Alex points it out as well. It does seem like an ownership call in some regards. Um, I, I don't – obviously, that's not sourced. I don't have anything on that. But I, it does – does feel like that in some sense. And I think that brings up um, my next thing. Uh, the locker room being what it is, is like, I'm not in the locker room, so I can't, I can't really make any call on that. Um, I, I, you know, I had people ask me, do the players deserve blame? And I think, yes, of course, to a point you can always say, well, yeah, the, if there are locker room problems, it does come down on the players a little bit, but there's there's definitely something with the coaches as well. Like if they're not getting along with the coach, there's something on that. It's just regardless. I think you have to look at it top down and say this is the, the where the organization is at right now is not a healthy place, and that 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 stems from the front office too, uh, in some regard. Um, I think it, it's just tough to look at it and say that there's anything going right because I think you could automatically say, all right, well then you have to fire a uh, you have to fire the coach I'm like uh, that my immediate thought was I I don't know if you can if you do fire Nate Bjorkren which I'm again we'll get to that I'm not sure that there's enough to say that he should be um, but if you do really think that Nate Bjorkren should be fired this is this would be the third coaching staff um, underneath well, okay, I guess not technically third. I mean, uh, Kevin Pritchard has been with this organization for a while now, but he's only been the president of basketball ops uh, for, for, you know, Nate McMillan. And, and now Nate Bjorken, he wasn't the head of basketball ops for Frank Vogel. Um, but point being, this, this front office has been around for a while in some regard, you know, just in terms of working their way up after Larry Bird stepped down. Um, and this is not me trying to pin anything on Kevin Pritchard or, or, or Chad Buchanan. But I do think it, it brings into question, um, do they – I mean, can they make another another coaching change? That was something I really thought about in terms of when they fired Nate McMillan originally. I wasn't really sure that they had the pull to – I mean, like it, it felt very much like an all-in type thing to make the move to, to transition to Nate Bjorker because I think they could have technically gone into this year and said we're going to give Nate one more year to prove himself. Um, try and have things be a little bit less uh, up in the air and topsy-turvy, uh, even though that, that really wasn't going to change at all. I, I, I mean, maybe we thought last year at this time – I mean, I, I think we thought last year that it would be a little bit better at least some point in this year. It really hasn't been. Um, but point being, uh, that's what happens when you make this kind of move. And I really do think – I don't – I mean, this is just my personal read. I don't think that 
I mean, I can't say that I don't think they're going to fire Nate Bjorkman, but I just don't know if they really have the uh, um, the pull to to actually fire him. Like, I, I just don't know if they really have another coaching change in them. And that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong in thinking that. Maybe I'm wrong in reading it that way. But that's how it comes off to me. Um, I, I, you often do not get a third coaching change uh, as a front office. That's just kind of unprecedented. Um, and that leads me to my next point. I mean, firing a coach in year one would be pretty unprecedented. I mean, John Beeline got fired last year, and that was for some really bad stuff that uh, that went on in their locker room. Um, you know, obviously the, the slugs incident, which was sucky um, in every regard. But uh, I think you also look at it, too. Um, you just don't fire a coach in the first year. That's not a thing that happens unless they're – absolutely terrible the team is 30 and 34 um I don't this is man uh you know I I know just in in terms of looking at player relationships this isn't uh, like stuff came out a couple weeks ago that this has been tough um and that it hasn't been going well so that makes sense in some regards but um I, I don't know I just I don't think that that you can you can necessarily fire him right now, but because this is coming out, it it, it is on the horizon. Um, I, I I can't say whether or not he should be fired, um, but it's just I don't know, man. I, it, this is very much so taking me by surprise. Uh, this is I, I mean I, I shouldn't say that it's taking me by surprise. I've had questions uh, all this year. I've been critical at times for sure. Um, and yeah, that's a great point from CT Fazio. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this comes down to just roster construction, uh, roster construction and injuries and this whole year being what it is makes it really difficult. Um, but man, I'm not really sure what to take away from it. Um, there are legitimate criticisms of Nate Bjorkren for sure. Um, but it also just comes down to at some point, I, I, I don't think that, that you could look at the team coming into this year. Um, I mean, I think if the team's fully healthy, you could have said, yes, they should be better than 30 and 34. Um, I do think the team could be a couple games better than they are right now. If things had broken differently or they maybe played different ways, but ultimately, I mean, I think this team would be just about a playing team or maybe slightly above if they were, uh, I mean, let's say fully healthy without TJ Warren, because TJ was going to be out regardless, but um, yeah. No, that is that. That's a good. That's a good point, Alex. Um, but it is different because Herb Simon is older now. I, I mean, I'd imagine that that weighs in in some regard. And of course, they probably do have a good relationship. But um, I'm not sure. Uh, again, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like all in on this. I, I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, this is just me putting putting on my own speculation um, and thought on it. Uh, I also think too, it would be pretty bad to uh to just have this leak out I mean to have uh, if you fire a head coach in the first year that reads terribly to the rest of the league um and I know that that doesn't mean a whole ton you know it's just uh like I I mean maybe for some people that that doesn't doesn't register but if you do want to actually bring in a coach who's who's going to make a difference for you or not to say that Napier Orchard isn't going to but like I don't know, maybe that, that sours some people and that, that leads into, okay, well, this 
uh, let's say Nate Bjorkman's agent. I don't know who his agent is, but let's say that he's the agent for a couple of higher profile players. And they're like, well, that organization screws people over. So, you know, we're not going to go there. That, that stuff carries weight. Like that exists. That is very much so a thing around the league um, that you have to think about. So uh, that's another thing. Um, all right. I'll, I'll start taking questions now. Cause I'll be honest. I don't have a whole ton else to add. We don't have a lot to go off and we have two tweets, um, but you know, any, any questions that people have, I'd love to take. If anybody wants to come up, I will, I'll, I'll gladly let you on. I'm probably going to stay on for another 20 minutes. Um, so first question from Noah Rawlings, any ideas on who you think a leak like this comes from trying to think of who the benefiting party would be? Um, I don't, I don't think that this is, I mean, this clearly isn't from just one guy. If it's being sourced by ESPN, um, just, you know, basic journalism, like, and I'm not trying to school you on journalism. I mean, maybe their practices are different, but um, unless you have two or three guys really backing something, then it's not going to be uh, just like that. Like they're not just going to go off of one guy. Um, I'm not going to speculate on who it is. Um, I would imagine there are quite a few players who have been unhappy with how things have been going, given the things that have been reported and just, it hasn't been a fun season for the Pacers. Um, but it also is just kind of, it, it rings weird, um, especially given how complimentary the players were at the beginning of the year with Nate Bjorkren. But I can understand how that would change as, as time has kind of gone on um, and the losses have started to pile up. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to speculate on who it is, but that's, that. I mean, that's just my, my statement on that. Uh, from Anthony Childress, um, I wouldn't fault them for moving on. If this is the, uh, I don't know if this is the guy, but I do agree, Mark. It makes sense for the Pacers opening a harder sell, so to say. Um, yeah, it's just it's really hard to to paint it in terms of you know what this means. If you do, if you do move on from him, like what what does that mean for for the next the next iteration? Um, because that, I really do think everything just stems back down to roster construction. Because we can point out all of the issues that Nate Bjorkman has had this year, like. Like the, like I like I mentioned earlier, uh, that really good point by Mike Prada on the timeline about how he's coaching the team he wishes he had rather than the one that he does in some regard. And part of that is, I mean, the roster just isn't – it isn't there. I mean, we, we've gotten so excited about O'Shea Brissett, um, and O'Shea Brissett has been really awesome. It's been so cool to see him thrive and play as well as he has. But the point being is, like – you're bringing in a guy on a 10 day who is having this big of an impact on your roster because you don't have a player who can fill that void. Um, and I feel like that is very, very indicative. Um, right. Like, I, I mean, at least to me, that is, I think that, that, that you can bring in a player that was not coveted by anyone, by anyone else. And they're having that big of an impact on your roster. That means something. It's not to say that, He's not a winning player. I think he is. I mean, I've talked about how he has the potential to be a starter if his, his shot stays where it is. But point being, the roster has not been constructed greatly. And I think um, it really bleeds into the fact that if he came in and, you know, clearly he had this idea of what he wanted to do. He was very vocal about how he wanted to play and um, his thoughts on what they wanted to do with the scheme. Um, and it just didn't really jive with what the roster was. And it, I, I don't know. So that, that rings kind of weird in, in my opinion. Um, another, another quick question from, from Isaiah Smith. 
Sorry if you hit this already late to the party. First of all, don't be sorry. Taking questions. How much do you think losing Bill Baino affected his troubles with the locker room? He could have been the voice between coaches and players since he had a relationship from previous staff. Um, yeah, I think that that's a good point. That's um, it's tough because that's something that I've thought of as well. Uh, it's not often that you have a massive overhaul in the coaching staff like this team just had. Obviously, Bill Bannell was the only holdover um, into having a completely new coaching staff, and and you don't you don't normally do that without having a real change in the roster. And this team just frankly did not have a change in the roster until the Victor trade, so that that makes things very different. Um, you know, normally, like like that's that's part of what I was hitting on. I think normally when you have a, a, any kind of change happen in the organization, it's going to be like the coaching staff in simultaneous with the uh um with with roster changes i think that's important because you you don't want to just have like small little like you want to have small little tweaks but you have to have some things happening in conjunction um so i think that would be my answer on that like i think i mean losing bill bano first of all i really hope he's doing okay because that stuff was really unfortunate to hear um i'm sure that that had an impact in some regards because that's right when the right when the team really started struggling is when um, is when that really started to uh, to change. Hold on one second. So I'm looking at right now, Adrian Wojnarowski just put up a story. I don't know why I said his full name. It's just Woj. Um, no, there's nothing new in it. Um, he, yeah, he just put up a full story on ESPN. If you guys are interested in checking that out, it's only like four paragraphs long, so not a whole ton there. Um, so next question from Indiana Painters. Uh, He's lost one of the players already. Does it matter if the roster changes? I saw Tony suggesting on Twitter that he was under the impression that could be resolved with winning. But if he has actually lost him, I'm not sure you can keep him around at the risk of losing Domas Brogdon, et cetera. Um, so I'm with Tony on this and because, I mean, Tony and I have talked about this, and I think it's just um, – it's a good point to look at. Like, this, this team was not having problems when they were winning, and that's an easy thing to say, but they weren't. They just frankly weren't having problems when they were winning, and that makes sense. You know, winning – makes it solves a lot of problems. I think this is really just a lot of frustration over not having, I mean, not being in a winning situation right now. I mean, uh, let me just pull it up. I mean, I, I like the, the front end of the schedule really padded what the team has looked like. So just since um, when, hold on, let me pull up cleaning the glass really quick, but this is a good point. So I, I do want to keep hitting on it, but um when was the All-Star break? I think the All-Star break was on March 12th is when they came back. Wait, no. Okay, so they had the – not the All-Star break. I mean, when they had their COVID break because they got hit pretty hard um, early on in the year. If my computer does want to load at all, that would be superb. First of all, I hope you guys are having a great night, by the way, other than this. Um, not that – I mean – I hope your emotions don't hinge on whether or not a coach is getting fired. Um, but I do know that some of you guys hinge quite a bit on how the Pacers are doing night in, night out. So I respect it. Um, so, yes, since February 24th, Pacers were 15 and 20. Uh, that is when they had that. Uh, they were initially going to play against Phoenix, and that game got canceled because of the COVID outbreak. Phoenix. And then they ended up having their own uh, – I might have that mixed up. But regardless, they missed a ton of time because of, of a COVID outbreak. 15-20 um, is like the worst stretch of basketball that this team has played in about four years. 
And that translates. Uh, I mean, this team has gone from being one of the most consistent teams in basketball, even if it doesn't necessarily mean winning at the highest level, that has translated to uh, to just having consistent stretches. And while it's been a little bit better recently, uh, the swings have been kind of wild. Like, they're either, they've been blowing out a lot of bad teams recently and getting blown out by, by good teams. And Washington is a good team. If you just look at the last two months of basketball, they've been about the best. I mean, Scott Brooks was just named Eastern Conference Coach of the Month. Um, and, I mean, the players have got to be feeling that. You could see last, last night on court, um, and I, I don't want to say that they weren't playing hard or anything, but you could tell they were just, uh, especially defensively, like they were in it offensively, I guess, but defensively they weren't there. Um, and that really, I mean, that tracks, like you can see it, like they, they just weren't, they weren't fighting with the intensity that they have. I I don't think intensity has been a real problem for this team this year. I really do think it has been the system and just the roster in general, but recently I do think intensity has been a problem and that's not something we're used to saying about the Pacers. Um, so uh, just to get back and answer that question, uh, I do think this can be resolved with winning. I completely agree with Tony on that. Uh, but it's, this this isn't really anything like, I mean, with, with the timing of this is what makes it so weird because there are, what, eight games left, including tomorrow night's game. So, I mean, how much are you changing this over the course of the next month before the season is over? Um, so it just gives me more questions than answers in, in regards to that. Uh, I appreciate I, – I really appreciate your question, though. Um, from Anish Nambury, rank most likely turnover in the offseason roster coaching front office. Um, I mean, I think you have it set right there. Roster would be number one. I think roster is most likely to get changed up for sure. Um, I, I mean, I think this – Alex and I have talked about this. Alex Golden, who's, uh, who was down below in, uh, in the locker room. Um, I mean, we've talked about it. Like, this, this team is – already earmarked for, for turnover in the off season. Um, I think this, I mean, that's already been pretty much guaranteed without anybody saying it. Uh, they, they tried to make changes before the season. They've made changes during the season. Uh, given how the season has gone, I just don't see how they could not make roster changes. Uh, coaching changes would definitely be next for me. And then front office change would be last because front office changes are always the most I don't want to say unlikely to happen, but like roster turnover and coaching turnover happens way more often than executive turnover. Um, So there's that. Uh, From Steve McCaffrey, here's the thing. Does anyone really think Nate's coaching will work better next year? That's the question to answer. If not, why continue through another awful year? That is a great question. And honestly, the the crux of the matter. So I appreciate you asking that, Steve. Um, I think that's what I've really tried to, to sort through next year. And I appreciate you guys for always listening to me and asking me questions because I, I try my best to put out good analysis. And um, it's been very difficult to analyze this year um, and get a good read on Nate. And I, I never want to be too critical on uh, on this team or the players or the coaching staff because Nate is a great dude. I, I, I haven't gotten to speak with him personally. I've, I mean, I've been in on, on some media stuff, but like, um, you know, it's different. We don't get to be around. I'm not full-time media right now, but um, with with Nate, like, I do think in some regards he does deserve another year, and I don't – I say that lightly. Like, I, I don't just, like, throw out, you know, oh, so-and-so deserves something. Like, I don't think that he has been a great coach this year, but I also don't think – like, just given everything with – like, I think 
he he came into this year envisioning having Victor Oladipo and TJ Warren in the starting lineup, and he went to in the next month within one month of the season he had neither Victor Oladipo or TJ Warren in the starting lineup for the rest of the year and no Karis LeVert and on top of that I think the team has practiced like 15 times this year if that um like they just do not get to practice and I know in some ways maybe we overrate the importance of practice like there's their practice already doesn't happen a ton in the NBA but regardless like you you're going into a condensed schedule you're practicing way less. He is a first-time coach. They are completely overhauling the system. They already started the year with it, and it was going well. And then you have TJ Warren go out, and then you trade Victor Oladipo, and everything fundamentally changes with what you're doing because especially, too, with the way that they're playing and the importance of rotating as the low man. Like Victor is one of the best low man rotators at the wing position in the NBA. Great at drawing charges. He is solid at getting vertical contests and more importantly he's just like one of the better off-ball defenders in the league and I think that's something that that got totally lost in the sauce with that TJ Warren while he's not awesome as an off-ball defender we've never gotten to see him play in a system like this Um, and more importantly he just was the one guy on the roster in the regular rotation who was a four-sized player Um, so I think Nate came in envisioning okay I have Victor who I know is a great off-ball rotator I have TJ, who I've coached before in Phoenix, and I know can can do some things in a defensive system. He has the size. I can picture that. And then you go a month into the season, and neither of those guys are on the team. And I think those two guys really hinged a lot of what the defense was going to do this year. Um, and you're seeing, too, with just the defense in general. Like That's why O'Shea Brissett has been so huge, because having that four-man who can rotate or anyone who can rotate on the back line has been huge for their defense. So I think that's why you saw such a big defensive drop-off um, after TJ was announced out and after um, after the victor trade. So I think that's hard to, to gauge because then how do you go in and change up? Um, like, you can't just overhaul a system completely in the middle of a season. Like, I think there have been ideas thrown out that that can happen. And I just don't think that's something you can really do, especially in this year. Like, this is the one year where I would say, no, I can't. You can't just toss anything out. Um, I would say that there have definitely been moments where they could tone things down. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see um, throughout this year. I've talked about how I want to see things change, like maybe more weak side exchanges happening uh, or weak side switches on, on things. Like uh, instead of going over every single screen, maybe go over half of them. Or when you're going up against Russell Westbrook or Ben Simmons, don't give them a wide open lane at the rim. And that's been such a problem throughout the year. Like I really think 90% of the things, 85 to 90% of the things that they try and embody and do as a coaching staff make sense and are improvements over how things have been. But ultimately it's those little things that they aren't tweaking that are problematic and lead to a lot of the ticky tack stuff that just, that just doesn't make sense. When the Pacers hired Bjorkman, KP spoke at length about Bjorkman's genius um, basketball mind. This genius is not translated into wins on the court or in the locker room. Sometimes it is better to fill fast, move on from Bjorkman, and overhaul the team. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I don't, again, I, it's not my call on that. And I don't know if I uh, think that he should be fired yet, uh, just given some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight about how difficult that is organizationally. and. Also, this is just such a weird year. 
But I also think, uh, you know, I just love basketball. I love team building. I love watching good players play. I like seeing good basketball. Um, I don't really care about teams. Um, but I also think, well, I know that, that front offices give a shit about optics, even if I don't. Um, optics, they give a lot of shits about optics, uh, even sometimes too much. And I, I do think, like, optically firing a coach in their first season is a hard sell for a lot of people. Um, and I would also say that firing a coach in their first year in a pandemic in a condensed season with a ton of injuries makes it even more optically difficult. And especially when you're factoring in that this is on the heels of another uh, firing that went very poorly optically and firing Nate McMillan. Um, I don't know. Like that makes it even murkier. And I think um, like there were legitimate reasons to fire Nate McMillan. Uh, like that. I mean, we, the, these same issues popped up. Uh, he was having locker room problems. Um, and it does, it, it does bring up questions too. Well, is this more on, on the players in some regards than on the coaching staff? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I can't make a legitimate statement on that, but again, it, it all comes back to, to the entire organization in a lot of regards. Um, so on the next question from, from Brady Omalia, Omalia, I hope, hopefully I said that right. Um, Nate seems too persistent on running his style, despite it being obvious. You don't have the personnel to do it effectively. Could front office be frustrated that Nate won't find a middle ground to fit the current team until preferred personnel is acquired in off season. So yeah, that's a good point. Cause that's how I felt in a lot of regards. I do think that he is a very smart uh, coach like I do think like as much as we have um, talked down on the defense this year and rightfully so the defense has not been good so I'm fine with criticizing things that aren't good because that's that's my job I'm not going to sugarcoat things um, but the offense has been solid um, I know that in a lot of ways uh, like the defensive rate I mean not, not the, defense, the defense ratings been shit but the offensive rating like has has been down and at times during the year because of guys being out and this and that, but process has been good results. Haven't been because of guys being out. So that makes sense. I do think there has to be credit there. Like I think his sets have been a lot more uh, intuitive and just better fitting with modern basketball than what Nate McMillan and the other coaching staff was running last year. So that's been a plus, but yeah, the defense is the problem. Um, I do think, uh, like the, the problem is just the willingness to adapt. Like sometimes he's too willing to adapt. I think this is what Caitlin is writing on tonight. Uh, so of course be ready to read that tomorrow. Cause Caitlin is like the best writer ever. Um, and I, I don't say that in a patronizing way. Jackson Frank is down below and he will tell you the same thing. Um, and of course you guys have read her, so you know, but yeah, I mean, they run a ton of junk defenses just for the sake of running them. Like they were running boxing one last night. For what reason? I don't know. Uh, they were running a bunch of boxing one. They were running a 2-1-2 zone that's really a 2-3, but they have no idea what they're doing with it. Like, the problem is they're running so many things that the team – it looks like half the team is running a different a different defense than the other team, and they're just disjointed. And it's, it's different – yeah, that's a good point, Jackson. They were trying to run a boxing one. It did not work. Um, like, the problem is just, like – when you watch this team play zone compared to Miami or Charlotte, 
like teams who run zone consistently and, and at least do it adequately. Like they're active in their zone. The Pacers are very static in their zone. Like um, it, it hurts that they don't have a ton of length, but they also run their zone in a way that just doesn't work. Like they, they aren't adjusting to the ball. They, it, some of the guys will, they'll be playing zone and then it, it, they, they change it to man. And it's just, the principles are all out of whack and it's very hard to analyze and understand what's going on there. So uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the answer to your question, I think the front office is definitely frustrated with that, but I also think, again, it's hard, part of its players, but I'm not sure. Um, so from Isaiah, I think Jay Michael reported earlier in the year, they tried to make sure he had a former coach on staff. They tried to hire Jeff Hornacek. If I remember correctly. Yeah, it was Jeff Hornacek. If I remember correctly as well. Um, yeah, I, I do think if they, if they do keep him, um, yeah, and of course, no problem, Bray. I appreciate you uh, asking the question. Um, I do think if they keep him, they will, of course, make changes to the coaching staff. They, they'd, uh, they'd mentioned um, after Bill Baino uh, left the team that they were going to try and add someone to the coaching staff uh, throughout the year. I don't think that has happened. It's very difficult to add staff um, in any regard outside. I mean, I mean, during the middle of a year, especially this year. Um, so I could imagine that's been a difficulty for them, but I would, I mean, I'm certain that they're, they're looking to, uh, to add, add coaches. Um, I mean, I remember Calvert Chaney was a very late addition to the coaching staff. And I think a lot of that was, um, trying to get somebody who could maybe not, not that the guys can't connect with the players, but more like, I know he had like a connection with Victor Oladipo cause he, he was, a. I think he was basketball ops when Victor was there, but regardless, he had connections with guys on the roster. So it made sense for him to come in and, and be a coach here. Um, they have a really small coaching staff in general on the bench. So yeah, it, it, I, I totally agree with that. Isaiah. I think that that's something that they will look to do if they do retain Nate for next year. Um, so Steve, can, can we hire Caitlin? Uh, I do think if, if Caitlin would do it, she she will of course say no. I don't know enough about what I'm talking about. Caitlin would be great. I think that she should be hired by a front office someday if she wants to, or at the very least, a really great publication should hire her. Even though she is indie cornrows, pretty much. Um, she yeah, she's great. Um, from my guy CT Fazio, coaching staff aside, how would you grade the front office moves this year outside of the Old Depot trade? Well, I do want to gauge the Old Depot trade. Actually, I think that that was a home run as far as I'm concerned. Um, you never want to like, I mean, given how things have worked with Vic in Miami, uh, I actually thought he was fine in Houston. Like he was a lot better than I think um, some of the indicators would point him as that was a really poor context for him. Um, I've talked about that on the pod before I wrote about it. Um, but given how the injuries have been, unfortunately stacking up again in Miami, he hasn't played in like two or three weeks now. Uh, it's probably closer to three weeks than two. Um, but I do think you trade a player who you are almost certain is not going to re-sign with you and you get back Harris Burton. And Harris has been good in Indiana. Um, I think some people have been saying that he's been better than prime Victor Oladipo, and that's uh, that's false. He has definitely not been that good. The defense has been rough for him. I think part of that is the system. Part of that is him finding his legs. Uh, part of that's just him not being a very good defender, to be completely honest. Um, like I would say that, at times, Karras borders on being a negative defender. Um, I don't want to just call, just call him a negative defender, but he's uh, yeah, it, it has been rough for him defensively. Um, the offense isn't quite as efficient as prime Victor Oladipo, um, but 
he's been good. Um, so I think that stretch has been huge, and I, I really appreciate that he's um, brought that. I do think the the front office made a good move there, signing O'Shea Brissett to the deal they did. Awesome. I don't love contracts like that, but I I think that they were able to get him for that was was great. He's been he's been very good for them. Um, ultimately, they haven't really made a lot of moves this year, though, at least in season CT. So I think, as far as I'm concerned, they've done as well as you can in the middle of the season. Um, would be my answer. Uh, so from Jackson, I know there have been stretches where important guys have played pretty heavy minutes. Do you think that's tied to a lack of health or something Nate needs to adjust? It's another great question. Um, yeah, that has been – it's been a little bit better recently. Um, but it hasn't been um, – it hasn't been perfect. Like, the other night, like, Seth Partnow put out a really great tweet after the uh, after the dropping of the Thunder. Because uh, I, I guess he must not have been watching the game, so he, he, he tweeted out after. He's like, in all caps – O'Shea Brissett was a plus well, – I mean, uh, played 42 minutes in a game he started, and they beat the Thunder by 57. And I'm like, yeah, that's the Indiana experience. Uh, part of it is that they didn't have a backup center that night, I don't think. Like, they could have put Keelan Martin out there, and I think you could argue that they should have. Like, it's just like, whatever, you're up by 50, it doesn't matter. That has been a thing this year, um, playing guys way too much. Uh and I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's just they, they get paid to be professional athletes. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, they do. But that, I mean, Caitlin and I both talked about that. Multiple people have talked about that. The Early in the year, the, the fourth quarter net ratings were absolutely tanking because they were juicing the third quarters by playing the starters the entire I – mean, not, not just the starters, but playing Malcolm and, and Demonis the entire quarter um, – and then they would come in and play almost all of the fourth. And, I mean, of course guys are gassing out. Of course they're playing worse defense. Like, it's, it's too much. I do think that's been a big part of it. Um, you know, they I, I, like, that's one of the things that I've always struggled with. Like, it makes me think a lot about spread offense in, uh, in football because I think we see a lot in spread offense in football. Like, you look at, like, Texas Tech and Baylor. And I apologize if I'm speaking a language that doesn't make so much sense to people, but I was originally, I worked at Michigan state with the football team for a year before I transitioned to being like more into basketball stuff. Um, but like you look at a lot of teams that run spread and if they are a really good offense, like Oklahoma state, like I'm a lot of the big 12 teams are so good and efficient at running that offense, but they end up having their defense play two thirds of the game because their, their, their offense is able to get off the field so quickly and the, 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 the defense just can't keep up with it in a lot of circumstances. And that has been the problem a lot of times for the defense. Like, the transition defense just isn't good. You have a lot of guys who, in, in the way that, like, a, a lot of times people bring up, like, okay, if you're a team that shoots a ton of threes, you're going to be bad on transition defense because of long rebounds. And that's really just statistically not the case. A lot of the problem has been four on fives because of misses at the rim for this team. Uh, like, last night against the Wizards, they had multiple times where somebody would miss at the rim and fall. And then it's a four on five for, I mean, a five on four uh, fast break for the other team. Um, and that's not to say that it's like all in the Pacers fault, but like that stuff matters. Uh, it, it feeds into how things are, are, are being played. Um, so long way of saying, I do think, uh, I think health has been a problem, uh, but the lack of adjustment with minutes has been a problem with well as well. And it's just been, uh, it's been a constant this year. Um, so from Elmar El Kaderi, 
the move to make is trading Sabonis. Sucks to say, but seems like the right choice when looking at our defense. Rather keep Turner, which is some, which isn't something I would have wanted last year. Um, I just don't agree. Um, I think, and, and let me explain. I'm not trying to say that you're stupid or anything. I don't think that. I just think it is very difficult because in the system that they have, uh, Domas is not a great individual defender, but he is not as bad as he has looked this year. And I think a lot of times we look at the defense the wrong way. Um, so if you if let's say that the, the middle pick and roll gets run um, and Domas and Justin Holiday are defending, let's say Bradley Beal and Daniel Gafford. So Gafford rolls down the lane. Justin Holiday goes over the screen. Bradley Beal is headed down. Uh, they're playing Domas kind of in center field. Like they want him to be uh, equidistant between Daniel Gafford and Bradley Beal while still trying to deter Bradley Beal but also not giving up a wide open lob to, to Daniel Gafford. He can't do that. He's not physically capable of doing that. But more importantly, it's not his job to cover Daniel Gafford from getting the lob. The Let's say Doug McDermott is over on the weak side. Doug McDermott is supposed to come in and tag Daniel Gafford. And I just, I, I've talked about this on the pod so many times, like 75, 80% of the time, no one tags the role man. And in the defense that they play, especially with Domas out there, you cannot miss the role man because it's a wide open lob. If it's a, if, 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 if it's against an athletic, uh, an athletic finisher, like Mitchell Robinson gave them problems earlier in the year when he was healthy. Gafford gave them problems last night, obviously like any, any guy who is capable of getting up for a jam kills them on the back end. If Domas gets put in pick and roll, but it's not his fault. It is because of the guy behind him. Who's not making the rotation. But it looks like Domas's fault because nobody's making the rotation, so it looks like Domas was supposed to do it. He could be more active, I think, in getting to the level of the screen. But part of that, it's hard to say if it's on the coaching staff or on him. They could mix that up and do things differently. But point being, it's on the low man most of the time. It looks better with Miles out there because Miles is one of the best pick-and-roll bigs in the NBA, and he can actually guard a two-on-one, which there are very few guys who can do that. But even then, he gets put in a lot of tough positions too, considering how they run things and, and they don't play in a deep drop and they try and force things at the rim. Um, so while I do think Domas hasn't had a great individual season and the numbers look really bad for him, a lot of it is just on the system not being good for him. Um, and a lot of like, – like they play some of the worst off-ball defense in the NBA um, – I, like that goes without saying. I watch every team play, and I can I can guarantee you. Other than I mean, Sacramento is in a whole world of of terrible um, on their own tier, but like Indiana's help defense is not much better. Um, and I think the biggest thing too is just with Sabonis, he is a good player. And at the end of the day, you know whether or not they fit an archetype or not uh, that that you desire, like good basketball players matter. Like you have to have good basketball players on your team. And Demonis Sabonis has been, I mean, I, I personally think Malcolm has been the best player on the team this year. It's always, I mean, it's always a toss up, but just given what he does as a driver and defensively too, I think he's been the best. Um, but you know, it's a splitting hairs there, but um, unless you guys have any other questions, I'll take one or two more, but I got to get out of here and watch the season finale for invincible. Um, because that's what I was going to do before I found out that Nate Bjork was on the hot seat. Um, but I appreciate you all coming in. Unless you have anything else you want to ask, I, uh, I will close out of here. 
Do I have anything else that I want to add? Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys all for coming in. Uh, hopefully this went smoothly. I know I was kind of uh, stumbling a little bit at the beginning. I'm not used to recording a solo pod, but it, it went well. So um, I appreciate it. it. Just why, AJ? I don't know, man. The uh, the, the basketball gods uh, have not been the kindest to the Indiana Pacers the last couple of years. Um I do think they'll be looking up. I'm going to try and keep covering everything in a positive way, man. So uh, look forward to that. I will have my first draft profile um, by this weekend. Um, I'm not going to make it public who it is, but I will say to you guys, since since you're here, uh, it's going to be on Scotty Barnes because I think Scotty Barnes would be great on this Pacers team, especially if they end up moving one of the bigs. So look for that this weekend. Uh, I've already – dove in and, and looked at a couple games. So, uh, so we'll be looking for that. Thank you guys again for joining. Um, I, 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 I always enjoy getting to talk and just talk patience and hopefully get some good analysis out. So um, have a good rest of your night, guys. I'll talk to you later.